0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you got a Bible with you, open up to First Peter chapter one. First Peter one. We're continuing on in First Peter. We're going to be looking at verses thirteen through twenty-one. 1 Peter one, verses thirteen through twenty-one. 1 Peter one, verses thirteen through twenty-one. If you were able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's Word? This is what God has to say to us this morning through the Apostle Peter, inspired by the Spirit of God. He says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear at the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. You familiar with the idea of compartmentalization? Yeah, a little bit, somewhat. You go to work or if you've been to work before, maybe your boss has told you a time or two before, like home stays at home, but work is for work. Or if you have a spouse, um, maybe they've lovingly told you that work is for work and home is for home. Men, have you heard your wife say that to you a time or two before? Maybe. We all have spaces in our lives for all sorts of things. Sometimes really good. Leisha and I, we set apart one night a month for date night. If you don't date your spouse, you should do that. Regardless of how long you've been married. But if you were to think of your life as as a big old house, you've got all these different compartments for all sorts of different things. There might be some places in our life, some of these rooms that are very, very unwelcoming, aren't there? There are places where we don't share grief and sorrow. There are places In our life and heart where we keep vices and sin hidden from other people. And like an abandoned house, it's dark and dank and dusty and unadhibitable. I can't say that word today. Even those places, though, they're set apart for their own purpose as well, aren't they? What are those places, though... What if those places in your life didn't have to be so compartmentalized? What if your life didn't have to be so compartmentalized? Instead, what if there was something like a driving force that could bring unity to all of your life? I think that's what the passage is getting at today. Remember how we talked about how resistance is active holiness, We finally come to the thrust of the passage, the thrust of the book, Be Holy as I am Holy. Peter quoting the law, quoting Moses. Be holy as I am holy. Picture of being holy and set apart for God, for his purposes, for his desires and passions. It happens gradually, over time where you and I are transformed by his grace and power. And these competing interests that you and I have, they start to fall by the wayside as we start to align with his vision for our lives. And so that one day, every fiber of our being is solely and only for him. Don't you want that? What does it look like then to be a people that are set apart for him? If you're taking notes, the first thing to note is holistic holiness. I'm not talking about like holistic medicine. I'm not talking about like energy healing or anything like that. I'm talking about all encompassing. Wouldn't it be amazing if all of our lives were wholly dedicated to the one that made us and saved us. What would it look like? Peter gives us three different things. First, our our heads, the way that we think, that would be set apart. Notice what he says throughout the passage. There there are a couple of different things. He says, preparing your minds. but Peter is saying, prepare your minds, it means that there is ongoing Preparation. There's ongoing work that you're undertaking. Our mind is being actively engaged for a particular task. Literally, when he says it, it means to gird your loins. That's the old King James version. Another way to say it is to like adjust yourself internally so that you can get after what is before you. But notice the second thing that he says. He says, be sober-minded as well. Our minds, they're supposed to be actively engaged. There's a particular way in which we're supposed to think, but we're supposed to think without hindrance. They can't be tied down. And so while your mind is being girded up for what lies before you, It's also saying that you have to unloose some of those ties that might otherwise bog you down. Be free of frustration and malice, anger, so that we can set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us at the appearing of Jesus. Only when we get rid of some of these things and only when we put our mind to the task can we actually put our minds upon the grace that would be brought to us. How does this work though? I think Peter's talking about a process here. They're not in here right now, but Kevin, Christian, And uh, another dude came over yesterday to lift weights. I don't know um, if you know a lot about gym culture or not. I'm just learning about these kinds of folks. They're interesting kinds of folks, friends. When you see a guy sitting on a flat bench and he has a partner with him, he wants to get him really excited about lifting a tremendous amount of weight. How is he going to do that? He's going to encourage him. His voice is going to get louder. He might even slap him on his back or on his chest to like, get him jazzed, right? He's helping him set his mind to action. But the guy that's lifting, he also has to be sober-minded. What does that look like? I'm not Superman. I'm not going to be lifting every single plate that's in this place today but I'm also not going to stop until I have to quit. What's the end to the exercise? Why do they do it? Why set our minds, why be sober-minded? Because there's a goal in mind. There's an actual reward in mind for you and me. Guys that came over yesterday, the intent is to be able to lift more tomorrow. They want to get stronger. As a friend of mine would say, I want to be harder to kill tomorrow, right? For us, setting our minds and being sober-minded enables us to place our heads, our thinking upon the promises of God, upon Jesus as our living hope. The church was painfully aware of competing substances and competing activities that could so easily ensnare and entangle them. And they could have if they weren't alert and they weren't ready for the task at hand and following Jesus in their day. And that's no different from you and I now. You can be prepared. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can fast. You can preach the gospel to yourself. But it's also a call for us to drop things that hold our hope hostage as well. to being sober minded is this it's 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 not being bound by anything less than jesus's blood and righteousness it invites you and me to find freedom and hope and joy or porn or materialism or advancement or praise or fads Or even food promises to give you, but it won't. When we're not disciplined with our minds or when we're led astray in our thinking or held captive by anything less than grace that will appear for us, then it makes it seem like all of God's promises don't work. As we keep running back to these old things, it leads us to despair and despondency rather than seeing God as the great promise keeper. But preparing our minds and sobriety of mind, say together with him that we expect grace. We expect grace from him. We don't presume upon it, but we know that he will give it an ample supply, not just for today, but ultimately and finally when we see him, Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom. It's not just our heads that are set apart for him, though, our hearts are set apart for him too. Our hearts are set apart for him too. Be conformed, be not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Passions here is an example of what it means to be a disobedient kid. Have you ever been a disobedient kid before? Or have you ever done something like maybe your mama told you to go take out the trash, but your your little old heart wasn't in it? Yeah, he's talking about even that kind of passion here too. It typifies a former ignorance. Ignorance. When our hearts, when they didn't know better, they didn't believe better. And because they didn't believe better, they didn't act better. Where'd they get this from? They got this from their ancestors. What displays being a child of God then, though, for us, demonstrating that we actually have received better That we know that God has changed our hearts. And so we live differently. There's this separatist kind of language now. While we live in the world, we're not of the world anymore. In Peter's day, there were two really big philosophical systems and how to deal with the desires of the heart one was Stoicism. One was Epicureanism. Tim, I don't care anything about that. Explain it to me like I'm five. With pleasure. Stoicism says you need to have a Superman kind of mentality. Your thoughts and feelings, they don't matter. Just walk on through life the best way you can without being bothered by anything that comes your way. Epicureanism says you are a super adventurer. And explore. You need to live life to the fullest. You need to experience all that life has to offer you and experience the most amount of pleasure out of your passions and receive the least amount of pain in this life. That doesn't sound too far off from where we're at today, does it? One says, ignore your passions, ignore a a part of you, ignore your heart, ignore your needs. The other one says, follow your heart, follow your needs, be dominated by your needs. What does Peter say though? What is Jesus telling us through, through Peter's letter to his friends? He's saying that your desires need to be changed and transformed, and you live out of those transformed desires. We don't say, I want to do whatever I want. I want to do what feels good all the time. And we don't say that the part of our heart that experiences desire and excitement and joy We don't ignore that part either, but rather we go to him asking, God, would you transform and change me? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of what your former ignorance. Instead, he says, be holy in your passions instead. There might be some in here who have not caught up, though your heart has not caught up to where God's desires are for you. Your heart has been slow. What does that look like? God has called you and me to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we don't even engage our neighbor in neighborly love. Maybe we don't even know our neighbor's names. God's desire for you is to send you wherever he wants to go. And there is a part of us that might be saying, I, I'm obstinate, I don't want to go, I want to stay here. Maybe God is going to call you to Liberia. Would you be open to that? God's desires for you are not to bend according to the whims of culture. but it's also not to be tied up in culture war stuff either. Instead, God's desire for you is to reflect righteousness and justice and separation from sin. In other words, we fly above that, demonstrating that there's a better way to live. That comes out of a transformed, changed heart too be set apart in heart then is to say that God's desires are my desires, are God's desires your desires. Our heads are separated, are set apart for Jesus. Our hearts, our desires are separated, are set apart for Jesus, and so too are our hands. The things that we do how we live amongst people today. Look at verse 17. How does it start? It starts with this conditional statement here, doesn't it? And if you call, it's conditional. What do I mean by that? If you were going to Old Town Donuts, if you were, grab Mark Cody, an old-fashioned donut. That's his favorite kind of donut. Did you know that? He's not saying, it's not an immediate command, like, just go grab him one. But if you're doing this, if you're calling upon him, who is father, who is not a respecter of persons, who calls upon both Jew and Greek, black and white, high school dropout and college educated, rich and poor, male and female, if you call upon him, then you what? Then we conduct ourselves with fear while we are in exile. Do you feel the thrust of that? If we go to God asking Him to forgive sin, if we go to God asking Him to provide for our needs, if we go to Him asking Him to defend us at our lowest, if we go to him giving praise to him in song and in prayer, there is an expectation that follows that you and I live in fear while we're in exile. Now, some might say when they hear that word fear, it is terror. That might be part of it because the gospels talk about how we are to fear the one that can kill both the body and the soul. He's certainly talking about more than just being terrified of God, though. It's talking about reverence and awe. In light of God being holy, I live a certain way. And that certain way might denote that I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. Do you remember Hurricane Katrina? It was a long time ago. I was 18 maybe, 2005. A friend of mine, one of my best friends, Darlene, she decides to go to New Orleans. And I'm following along, my best friend, let's go, let's go help some people out. She finds a, um, like, a, like a rehabbing um, uh, company that's helping gut some of these flooded, uh, flooded homes. And when, when we land, I, I, expected, um, I expected people that looked like me. Um, I expected a lot of English. And there was nothing of the sort, actually, with the company that I worked with and the company that I stayed with. Tim, what do you mean? Darlene was Brazilian. She spoke both English and Portuguese and a little Spanish. Do you know what I speak? I speak English, that's it. (laughs) Everyone in the house, except for the foreman, except for the owner, either spoke Portuguese or Spanish. It was like I lived in a TV show on Telemundo for an entire month. It was very difficult for me. I stuck out like a sore thumb. It almost looked like I didn't belong there. I could get along. I worked hard. But that ultimately wasn't home. I looked different. And brothers and sisters, like with holy hands and holy conduct, we demonstrate that while we love people really well here and now, we love people that we rub shoulders with. Really now, we also labor unto the Lord for his fame and glory. Well, you show up to Cardinals games, you should do that. I'm getting tickets. I'm excited. You should also show off God's grace and power through humble living. Well, there's time to relax and rest, there's never a time that we stop in being reverent to him. Let's take a pause here for a moment. Do you remember last week how we talked about how Peter is telling them to rejoice? In this you rejoice, though, while you're going through stuff. While Christians are sometimes some of the most dour and sour people on the planet, Christians, too, are to be... The most serious. Tim, what do you mean by that? It doesn't mean that we're not without joy and not without smiles. We should be the most invested in the beauty that God has made on this planet. But some of us might not give a rip. About reverent living, about serious dedication and holiness to Jesus. Does it look like your life is gripped by a white hot holy God that desires to make himself famous? Does it look like you're gripped and gratified by all of the other stuff that entangles us in this life? Does it look like you care about the things that Jesus cares about? Or would your Netflix account show otherwise? Would the jokes that you laugh at show otherwise? Would the way that you treat people show otherwise? with the way that you live in community with one another and lost people, show otherwise. To live in fear while we're in exile is to say, there might be all sorts of threats and all sorts of good stuff out there that are terrible or wonderful, but the great big driving force of my life is to make Jesus known, and to glorify him. That's why I do what I do. This is a tall order then, isn't it? This is big. Can you actually do what First Peter says for you to do? Can you do it? This is what holistic holiness looks like. It flows from our living hope. I believe that it can. I believe that you can, you can be this. We can be this. Jesus bought us, verse 18, it says that he ransomed us. This is an economic term, it's not initially a religious term. He's saying that you were a slave. This is slave language here. If a country was coming in to take ownership of another one, they might take some of their people back to their capital. That's the idea. He's saying both we were slaves to our own desires and we needed Jesus to free us. Not with gold, not with our personal holiness, but with Jesus' own blood. Go down just a little bit. Jesus makes himself known to us as well. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, that's a summation of what he's talking about right now. God promised at the very beginning there was no plan B for people. There was only plan A. Jesus was plan A. Angels wanted to see it, and the prophets were told about it. And Jesus sent the apostles into the world to proclaim his good news. And now you and I are recipients of Jesus appearing in the world for the first time. And God proves that Jesus is faithful to us now. If he came the first time, he will come again. trust God because of his character and work on the cross. This guy named Shane Pruitt, he's a, he's a NAM missionary. He works with next-gen, so college students and high school students. He has a son, or had a son, rather, with special needs. And he passed away at the age of 10 just a couple of days ago. And so he's working through his own grief and sorrow. In a world that would be bitter, in the midst of grief, Or he might echo Job's wife that told Job, curse God and die. He said this, often with grief, it feels like you have to hold on for dear life. But if you belong to Jesus, you don't have to hold on for dear life because dear life is actually holding on to you. Isn't that what Jesus says in John 10? I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever, ever, ever snatch them out of my father's hand. God, through Jesus, makes you a believer in God. Why? Because as Jesus came once for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, so too Jesus will come again for your grace so that he can extend grace to you and rescue you from a dark and dead world, church. All of this was for his glory. But it's also for you to belong to him, too. It's for your faith to trust in him. It's for you to be bolstered in hope, and it's for your holiness. And the hope that we have been given is for our holiness let's pray father thank you for today and thank you for your matchless incredible undeniable work that you've done in and through the person of jesus you rescued us you bought us and you proved yourself right would you do an incredible work in us today may there not be any compartment of our life that isn't touched by you, but rather we would be driven by holiness for you. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.